we're looking at Micah, there's a great need for deliverance in the life of Israel, and specifically, Micah has now turned to Judah. He has addressed Israel, which is the northern kingdom. They're going to be carried away, even during Micah's ministry. But he has now turned to Judah, who is the southern kingdom. And like their sister kingdom, they are now falling away from the Lord. They have been falling away from the Lord, and there's a great need for Deliverance. If there's any theme that we see in this book of Micah, it's a theme, a need for deliverance. It's interesting, the name Micah means who is like Yahweh. Yahweh is the covenant name for the Lord. The only thing that is going to get Judah out of this awful predicament and out of this awful situation is for Yahweh to come. The only thing that is going to take care of the problems of this corrupt society, and it had become extremely corrupt. In fact, many of the people didn't even care about Yahweh anymore, the covenant God of Israel, the only God of Israel. They didn't care. They didn't want to hear about him anymore. They had grown Tired of him. And so God says, I want you to make your case. I have been pleading with you. I have been coming after you, showing you my tender love, and yet you refuse me. Judah, why don't you come and make your case as far as your behavior goes? The Lord is calling them into a courtroom scenario and he is calling for them to make their case and he is also calling for witnesses I want everyone to hear this this is what Yahweh is saying I, I want them to hear what my case is the case of the Lord and I also want witnesses even the mountains to hear the case of Israel, the case of Judah. They had become corrupt, and yet they were his covenant people. They had a good start, but things were going terribly wrong. Now, the United States is not Israel. And we are not God's covenant people. Sometimes people try to make that exact parallel, and that simply is not the case. The United States is not the new Israel. And yet, we had a good start. We had a nation that was birthed in faith. People oftentimes demonize the, the fathers of this nation and different churches and people that lived during the 17 and 1800s. But the truth is there were many Christians, and there was a sense, even though by no means were we a complete Christian nation, there was a sense that Christianity was in control. There was a sense of morality 
going to church was not a bad thing. And so we had many, many people down through the years, even our grandparents and great-grandparents, people who went to church and who had an understanding of morality. That is no longer the case. No longer are people predominantly being raised in Christian homes. No longer are people being even raised in morally decent homes. In fact, we, we don't see that any longer. It's not, it's not widespread. There is a desire to get away from the things of God. It's interesting, if we even walk out on the streets here and we ask people about some simple Bible verses, many people would not be familiar at all with the text of Scripture. Many people in our own city do not have an understanding of what the gospel is. In many ways, uh, this area could be considered by some to be an unreached people group. The population of people that are going to Bible-believing churches that believe in Yahweh, one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that believe in the clear teaching of the gospel, that hold the Bible in reverence and esteem, are growing fewer and fewer. This is, uh, this is a major problem. And it was the same with the covenant people of Israel. They had been given the law. They had been given the covenant. They had been given prophets and prophecies. They had been given the word of God. And yet over time, they began to reject the word of God. They no longer wanted to hear it. They were worn out. In fact, this is what God asks if you flip to Micah chapter 6, verse 3. God is saying, now God is making his case, and he is saying to Judah, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. So the people were getting tired of God. God, we don't want to hear about it anymore. Reminds me of children telling their parents, we, we understand what you're saying, but we, we are, we're tired of hearing this over and over again. And the people of Israel were saying the same thing. God, we are, we are weary of you. We're tired of the word of God. We're tired of being told what to do. We're tired of being told about Yahweh. We simply don't want to hear it anymore. And God is asking the question, but what have I done to you? I've been gracious to you. It was I who delivered you. It was I who brought you out of Egypt. It's I who have been good to you and kind to you. And the people are saying, yeah, we understand. We've heard the stories before. We've heard about Egypt. We've heard about how you cared with us, with the whole story with Balaam. We get, we get all of the stories, Lord. But the truth is, we're simply tired of, of hearing about this, God. We really don't want to follow you anymore. God, we, we really don't want to. We don't have any interest in you anymore. And so the question becomes, how, how, how should they remedy this? How should they come back to God? They are far from God. 
they are tired of God. They don't want to hear anything from, from God anymore. So the question is, how are they going to come to, to him? Look at verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord? Okay, so the, the Lord is calling me. I hear him calling me. I really I don't want to listen. I, I don't want to go after him. I don't want to humble myself. I don't want my heart to be right. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? They're saying this, Lord, would it make, it, would it make, uh, would it make you happy if, uh, if we came with lots of sacrifices? God, if we came with lots of animals with burnt offerings and we sacrificed a thousand calves and we brought lots of sheep, God, would you be happy? Lord, if we went to church, God, if we went to church every Sunday, would you be happy with that? God, maybe we'll even throw a little money in the offering plate. God, would you be happy with that? We'll bring sacrifices in the Old Testament. People today are saying, okay, God, we understand you want us. We're, we're really bored with you, and God, we're weary of you, and we're really not that excited about you anymore. In fact, this whole thing with Christianity, this whole thing with Yahweh being God, this, this all seems kind of ancient and boring, and God, we're really not sure about this anymore, but Grandma wants us to go. So... Maybe we'll try to get out to church. And we'll sit through the service and we'll look at the time and we'll tap our watch. I remember I was uh, in a church in my high school years. And every service, a man by the name of Will had his alarm go off purposely at a certain time. And so the pastor would be preaching, and all of a sudden, there goes Will's watch, just like clockwork, excuse the pun. And there he is. Time for the sermon to end, time for this whole thing, time for this whole thing to get over with. Lord, if I go to another church service, will you be happy? Lord, if I, if I try to be a, a decent person, would you be happy with that? God, I'm not going to change my life. I'm not changing anything. I'm going to continue doing exactly what I've been doing. I'm going to be a person who lives like the world, has a heart for the world. Lord, I'm not changing any of that. I'm going to, I'm going to keep going on with exactly what I'm doing. By the way, that's one of the greatest issues today with the church. Not, not this church in particular, but the church in America. There's people who have some understanding of the gospel, listen carefully, have some understanding of the gospel, have some understanding of God's ways, but yet their worldview is not changed at all. They think like the world. They live like the world. The values that they embrace, the things that they think, the things that they watch, the things that they listen to, the things that they go after, no different. So we have Joe Christian who says, okay, God, listen, 
I want to go after the world. I'm not changing anything. I'm going after the world and all that I want. But if it'll make you happy, God, I'll bring you a calf. Lord, if it'll make you happy, here's a sheep. Here's five bucks. How about Christmas and Easter? Maybe, maybe, Lord, then maybe, Lord, then you'll be you'll be happy. And the Lord is so grieved. Oh, he's grieved. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. And God is saying, listen, I don't want your calves. I don't want your sheep. You can keep all the sheep. That's nice. I don't want your Sunday morning attendance. It's great to come on Sunday morning. But that's not fundamentally what God is saying. That is not fundamentally what I'm after. I'm not after 20 bucks in the offering plate. God, can we, can we buy you off? Can we do things that will somehow appease you and make you happy? And God's saying, that is not the way it works. That is not what is going that's not what is going to make me happy. That's not why my heart is grieved. God is saying, I own the universe. I own everything. Here's what God is saying. I want you. I want you. I, 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 want, I, want, your, I want your heart. I want you to have holy longings for me. I want you to have desires that come from the Spirit of God, a changed heart that says, oh God, oh yes, we'll, we'll bring in the tithe, absolutely. Oh yes, we'll go to church, that's important. Those are good things to do. But Lord, if I'm going to church and my heart's not yours, Lord, if I'm going to church and I'm dropping things in the offering plate, if I'm trying to just be a decent person, Lord, that's not what you're after. You know what some of us need to do, even possibly here in this building, is get alone with God. Listen, your life will be changed. No person in this room can change you. No person. Only God. And he is so powerful. He's so wonderful. And when his love touches somebody's heart, it changes that person forever. They are just a changed person from the inside out. It is wonderful. And the way we do it is we receive it. It's not hard. We get on our knees before God and we say, Oh God, you want me. You love me. I, I want to be yours. Lord, come in and change me and fill me and make me like you. The most famous verse comes from Micah chapter 6, verse 8. By the way, there's a synagogue in Kingston that has this verse on the outside on its building, on its synagogue. Here's what the Lord is saying. He's, he's, after, he's after their heart. He says, I've told you, O man. He has told you, O man, what is good. Here's what he wants. And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice. I don't want you to be corrupt is what God is saying. I want you to be just in your dealings with people. I don't want you to cheat them any longer. I want you to be just from the heart because you want to do the just thing. You want to treat people with equity and with fairness. Yesterday I'm standing in a, in a Kmart 
with Crystal in, in line. There's a, a man in front of us, and he is checking out. And we were just about, he got done, and he was just about to walk away. And uh, we were about to go up and get our things scanned. And the man turned around, he looked at the cashier, and he said, um, he said, I gave you a, a $50 bill. And I thought, uh-oh, he's been, he's been shortchanged. And I thought, oh, okay, well, we're going to get the supervisor over and more than the blue light special here. We're going we're gonna to be, be standing here for some time. And the cashier said, no. He said, you gave me a $100 bill. The man said, no, no, I gave you a 50. And he said, I don't want you to be ripped off. And I'm standing there, wild, like, whoa. Talk about an honest man. And he's standing there with 50 extra bucks. And the cashier was insistent. He said, no, no, you gave me 100. He said, look, just look in your drawer. So he opens his drawer, and he's going through all his money. And he comes, and he finds, he finds the 50. And he says, thank you so much. And the man says, yeah, I just didn't want you to come to the end of the night. And he gave him back all of this change. And I'm standing there. I just said to him, I said, I really respect you. Listen, this is what it means in, in small letters in our menial everyday life of what God is talking about here, of treating people justly. The land had become so corrupt, and God is saying, you don't care about justice anymore. Even in your business dealings, you are corrupt. And we have said that oftentimes it's not the government who can legislate all this, and neither should they. But I am convinced that pastors are qualified if CEOs and businesses would say, would you come in and would you talk to us about just business practice? And if pastors would go in and they had the opportunity to go in, or godly men or godly women, we're allowed to go in and we're to sit down and talk with different businesses. Can you imagine businesses doing that? Would you come in and would you sit down with my board or would you sit down with our management team and would you talk to us about how to treat customers with fairness and kindness and equity? Not legislating this, not coming in and dictating it, saying this is, this is how you're going to do things, but simply coming in and saying, this is, this is what honors the Lord. This is, how we, this is how we do business, and this is how we treat people properly. I remember as a young boy, I, I tried many different ways of making money. And one of the things that I did was I baked cookies, and I would sell them from door to door. I don't know if anyone enjoyed them, but I would knock on the door and and tell them, this, just honestly, this is what I'm doing, and I would sell them. But I remember my father telling me when we were talking about a price of how much to sell them for, we sat down and we talked about it, and he said, now listen, we live in a poor neighborhood. We had moved to the inner city on purpose. He said, um, and, and I want you to charge a price where you still make a decent profit, but that it would be fair and equitable so that you aren't ripping people off. Listen, that lesson has, has stuck with me for all of my life, just business practice. And so when we think about this, perhaps all we can do is say, Lord, help us to be 
um, influencers in our society, but maybe it goes a step beyond that. Maybe it simply starts with us. Lord, would you help me? Lord, all hell might be breaking loose all around me. But Lord, would you help me to not fail in purity and in just dealings with people because, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, and, Lord, I don't want to fall. So would you enable me to treat other people just in my small, regular, menial, everyday practices? Lord, would you help me to deal justly with people? And even if nobody sees it, Lord, you see it. Lord, you see the little things. You saw that man yesterday give back $50 in change. Nobody seemed to be watching. He didn't even know anybody was watching. But Lord Jesus, you were watching. And so God comes in Micah and he says this. He says, what does God require of you? He says the first thing he says to do justice and to love kindness, to be kind to people, to be merciful to people. We are so quick, listen, we are so quick to criticize people, be hard on people and say, oh, look at what they did. I can't believe they did that. Look at this. And I would have never done this. And eaten up. And God comes along and he says, would you have mercy on people? Here's, here's why you have mercy on people. Here's why when they do you wrong, you're able to have mercy back on them is because Jesus comes and he says, I have had great mercy on you. So if I've had great mercy on you and you have received the mercy of God, surely in your everyday life you will be merciful to others. Will you have mercy? Kindness. Will you look at people with kindness? How, how wonderful is it to receive a, a kind word from somebody, somebody who is just kind, to pick up the phone and hear somebody on the other end and they're just sweet. The Lord is saying, will you, will you, will you, will you do justly? Will you have just dealings with people? Will you, will you love kindness? Will you love tender mercy? Will you be merciful to people? And lastly, this, this heart thing, he says, and will you walk humbly with your God? Humble yourself. Not strutting around proudly, but get on your knees and admit your need for him. Unfortunately, Judah was not willing to listen. And so the Lord had to be faithful to himself because he is just and he is righteous. And so he has to judge sin. He can't just let sin go. He doesn't just wink and say, well, I'll overlook sin. Here's the sin, but I don't really care. I'm going to just forgive. God doesn't just forgive without dealing with his justice. And so he's dealing with this situation. He's been pleading with Judah. Judah, will you come around? Will you stop doing your own religion? Will you humble yourself? Will you do these things that we just talked about in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, and yet they would not? And God is saying, I can't just acquit you. I can't just say everything's okay. Well, we'll just accept it all. And that's what the definition of love is today in our society. We'll just accept everything. If you're going to be a loving person instead of coming out against sin, well, to be loving, you have to say, well, 
I guess we have to tolerate it. I guess we have to just accept whatever is going on. This is a great problem in our day. Just accept it. A person who is not accepting of sin in our society today is seen as a bigot. They are seen as narrow-minded. You are going to be increasingly seen, if you're a real Christian, you are going to be increasingly seen as so narrow. And yet you are filled with the love of Christ, and yet you are going to be accused as Christians. Beloved church, listen, you're going to be accused as being filled with hate, filled with spite, because of the stands that you take, because of what God's word says, it is written. And so God says, well, what can I do? I can't, I can't just acquit the guilty. I can't just overlook sin. In fact, look with me at verse 11 of chapter 6. He says, shall I acquit the man with wicked scales? The one who is unjust in his business practices, shall I just acquit him or acquit her? And with a bag of deceitful weights. Will the the Lord just say, never mind, I'll just, okay, that's fine, you're going to be unjust, You're, you're not going to be kind, you're not going to be good in your dealings with others? Well, I guess I'll just let it go. God says, I can't let it go. I can't let your sin go. I can't let this nation's sin go. God doesn't just say, you know what, I've been preaching long enough, I've been saying all of these different things, but truth is I really mean it, but wink, wink, never mind, I'm going to just let it all go. Listen, God is weighed down with our sins. This is what it's saying. He's saying, how how can I let this go? How can I acquit the wicked? How can I not bring judgment? In fact, he says in verse 13, therefore I strike you with a grievous blow. He would bring in Assyria to come against Judah, and eventually, you can see it in chapter 4, verse 10, he would bring in Babylon, who would carry them away in 586. So you have the northern kingdom is carried away by Assyria in 722, and later on the southern kingdom would be carried away. Long after Micah is gone, he had prophesied that Babylon would come in and would destroy them. God is saying, how can I overlook your sin? Therefore, verse 13, I strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. Israel is bloodthirsty, according to Micah, loves blood, given over to sexual lust. Israel loves blood, is thirsty for blood, is, according to Omri and Ahab, loves all sorts of different sexual practices. They're not of the Lord. They specialize in unjust gain. They reject God. They're enamored with other religions. Riding with Crystal on a trolley in Philadelphia, and I'm overlooking this lady who's sitting in front of us reading this book called The Healing. I look it up, find out it's a non Christian novel. I'm thinking to myself, here we have become enamored in this society with healing, with spiritual growth, spirituality, mysticism. And it's all apart from Jesus Christ, the only one who truly gives real healing. 
but we've become so enamored. Jeremiah chapter 9, if you flip over there, Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 5. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse... Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 5 says this, Everyone deceives his neighbor. This is the state of things in Judah. Everyone deceives his neighbor. No one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity, heaping oppression on oppression and deceit upon deceit. They refuse to know me. They refuse to know me, declares the Lord. This is the tragic state of things in Judah. They don't want to know God. Heaping deceit upon deceit, tragedy upon tragedy, sin upon sin. Perhaps it's a good time to take inventory of our own life. And say, Lord, have I been heaping up sin upon sin? Iniquity upon iniquity. Lord, have I, have I been not wanting to know you? Look, if there's anything to get today, it's to know God. It's to come to know God. This is, this is what his desire is. This is what his longing is for you. It's to turn. Micah chapter 7, verse 2, gives the tragic state of things as he has been given it from the Lord. He says in verse 2 of Micah 7, the godly has perished from the earth. Where are the godly people? I asked our men's group recently, how many, how many men do you know that are men, older men, that you would actually call prayer warriors? How many do you know? And somebody said, well, how do you define old? So we went with 70 and up. How many men 70 and up do you know? You say, that person is on their knees regularly, daily. This is what Micah is saying. He's saying, where, where, are, all the, where are all the old men? I was in a McDonald's not too long ago, and I'm looking at this group of older men, and they're just sitting there having coffee with each other. And I was thinking, in, in time, this generation is going to pass, and, and the thought that I had was, I'm, a, I'm going to miss them. Who's going to replace them, the wise old men? Who's going to replace the godly older grandmas? You know the one that lovingly scolds people? The godly church lady? How about the, how about the young people that have a, have a deep understanding of the things of God. It's not just they're following the church thing because, because that's what you do and because mom has dragged them or dad has dragged them off to church. Now, of course, all of the godly have not perished from the earth, but that's how Micah sees things. He's, he's seeing less and less of a godly population in his society. And this troubles him. It troubles him that it doesn't trouble so many other people. Why does nobody seem troubled about this? Where are all the godly people going? That's the question he's asking. Where are they all at? They're disappearing. The godly has perished from the earth, and there's no one upright among mankind. They all lie and wait for blood. And each hunts the other with a net. Skip down to verse 5 of chapter 7. 
Things are so bad with even neighbors, you can't even trust your neighbor in this society. Put no trust, verse 5 of chapter 7, put no trust in a neighbor, have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. You can't trust anybody. That's what this verse is saying. Notice verse 6, for the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. How tragic have things become? Nobody even in the family can trust one another. Enemies in the home. This is the effect of sin. Is this, is this a good picture not only of Judah, but is this a good picture of where we live today? Sexual sin everywhere, perversion everywhere. The redefinition of what is good and what is right. The restructuring and reconfiguring of the home itself. Let me ask this. How, how, long, how long can a society be blessed by God? How long can a society be blessed by God when it celebrates every form of sexual deviancy? Is bloodthirsty from its video games and sports to its mutilation of babies. When it loves spirituality but is weary of Yahweh, is corrupt politically and entertains itself until it is numb and yet it is proud to the core. How long, how long can God bless a nation like that? How long can God bless a society like that without bringing judgment? In fact, it's interesting. Here in Micah, he says, I have already begun to judge you. In other words, he doesn't just say, wait until 586 and then you're all going to be judged for your sin. But it's this progressive judgment it's this darkening that continues over time. And that's exactly what happened in Judah. And that's exactly what's happening in our nation. We are currently not waiting for the judgment of God to come out as if it's in some distant reality or some distant future. But we are currently, right now in 2017, we are currently experiencing and under the progressive judgment of God that will only continue to get worse. You say, well, how do you know it? Well, because of all the things we just have listed, but primarily because people have become weary of God. I am, I am absolutely convinced that the problem with church growth in America, it's a spiritual problem. And what we, have, what we have tried to do is we've tried to say, well, we've got to do something to get people. And so we've tried every strategy and every marketing ploy that we can figure out and how to get people. And yet we're no better off. We're no more spiritual because we're trying to address a spiritual problem with physical means. Right, 
I was talking to my dad recently, and he said to me, he said, at what, what point do we just say, you know what? We're under the judgment of God, and we need to pray. I'm tired, and this is what the real prophets were tired of. They were tired of false pastors coming and saying, here's the answer. Here's the solution to everything. Here's the strategy that's going to work. Here's what you need to do in your church. And the real prophets are coming along and saying, no, no, that's not the problem. The problem is spiritual. The problem is our hearts are far away from the Lord. And until that gets remedied, nothing is going to get remedied. And listen, the false prophets say, we don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear that. Let's get right back to the strategies and all the ploys and all the tactics. Let's get right back to that. And God is saying, no, 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 come back over here. Here is the problem. Here is the answer. Here's the solution. This is pretty dark. But Micah doesn't end there. In fact, he gives an incredible word a sure word of hope. Yeah, Judah, you're going to be judged, and uh, the nations are going to be used to judge you, but someday, verse 16 of chapter 7, the nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. Someday they're going to see. Someday they're going to see their sin and what they did. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. Someday, Israel, someday, Judah, the nations are going to see exactly what they've done and they're going to see their sin with great clarity. And on top of that, I'm going to come and I'm going to redeem you and I'm going to, Judah, Jerusalem, I'm going to make everything right. Listen, if there was ever a picture of salvation, it's here. We are sinners and as a result of our sin, the Bible says we deserve judgment. As a result, we are born into sin. We are born headed for the just condemnation, the just damnation of the Lord. You can't just overlook sin. That's what it says here. It's the same with Judah. It's the same with us. Listen, and he allows us because of our own sin, not because God is bad. God is good. There is no darkness in the Lord. None. He's good in every way. He is good in every way. And so he allows us, because of our own sin, he allows us, like Judah, to be plunged into the depths of darkness. Listen, sin is darkness. It's emptiness. It's lonely. Sin is lonely. Sin is dark. Sin is not good. Sin is not the light. Satan comes and says, this is the light. And God says, no, that's not the light. That is darkness. This is the light. This is the truth. It comes with great clarity. And so he takes us from the depths of wherever we're at, the depths of despair, the depths of sin, the depths of chaos. He takes us from that and he pardons all of our sins. Oh, he gives us great grace. That's what it says here in chapter 7. Read with me in verse 18. Who is a God like you? In fact, that's what Micah says. Who is, that's what his name means. Who's like the Lord? Who, who's like you, Lord? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression. 
For the remnant of his inheritance, he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. You mean we can have a fresh start? You mean we can be forgiven? You mean the Lord can bring us out of the depths of iniquity, out of the place of judgment? How is he going to do that? We have already said he must judge sin. How is he going to judge sin? How is he going to do that? Because it says he cannot just overlook iniquity. How is he going to judge sin justly? And yet at the same time, according to Micah 7, pardon us in our iniquity. How is he going to forgive us when he has to judge us? And the answer is chapter 5, verse 2, the centerpiece of the book. But you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, From you shall come forth from me one, is to, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. 2,000 years ago, in a little town called Bethlehem, God sent Jesus so that he could deal with sin justly and yet pardon our iniquity. And so what Jesus did was he lived in our place. He lived the life that we could never live. He always walked in the truth. He always walked in the light. In fact, he says, I am the way, in verse uh, 6 of John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And then he died on a cross and all of the iniquity of the world, the wrath of God that we deserve. He was our substitute. And the wrath of God that you and I deserve for our sins was placed upon our beloved shepherd, the shepherd of the sheep. And he died for us so that instead of us getting the judgment of God, because God is always a just God, he says for anyone who receives him, the price has already been paid. Jesus paid it all. So we receive him. And we say, Lord, it's not about going to church. You want us to go to church. We understand that. Lord, it's not about this. You want us to do all these things. We get that. But Lord, it's first of all about us coming to you and receiving the good news of Micah that you sent one from Bethlehem to pay for our sins so that we could receive the free gift of salvation in delight in Jesus Christ for the rest of our life. Is that good news? That's good news. That's the good news of Micah. Would you stand with me as we close? Father, we thank you for sending Jesus, our, our deliverer, the one who delivers us. Thank you for delivering us from sin and shame. 
Thank you, Lord. Father, we ask you if there's one here today that doesn't know you. Perhaps they've come and they've been thinking, I'll just try to get my life straightened out myself. And Lord, they're realizing today that it's what you did for us. That's the only remedy for our sin is Christ. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Savior, would you raise your hand and say, I'd like to receive him today as their one that says, I'd like to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior today for the first time, for the first time. You've had many over the years. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Father, as we continue, we ask you, Lord, that you would make us people of prayer. We thank you that even for this nation, God, you could cause a massive revival here. God, you could turn things around. You can do it, Lord. That even though we're under your judgment, oh God, and we deserve it, God, we can, we can come to you and pray and ask you, Lord, that you would stem the tide, that you would turn things around, and just maybe, God, you might give us mercy as a nation. Lord, we ask you for mercy. We ask you for mercy as a nation and as a church, we pray. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. amen.